The government did it. This is cancel culture. You know, I don't know about this doctor of assassination, but if he thinks we're trying to assassinate him, I think we really ought to go ahead and do it. It's a whole lot cheaper than starting a war. We just had one of the best defamation lawyers on the planet take up our case, and they're going to sue the pants off CNN for lying to this church. We'll see you in court, CNN. So coming of the Son of God was in April 13th. All right, welcome back to the Left is Dead second, uh, second flagship show, Old Time Religion. I am your host, Jim Carrey, back with Nathan. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm um, I'm actually all right. I'm probably better than you, at least. You have COVID, right? <laughs> I'm getting over it. I'll survive. Okay. Well, yeah, because you didn't God get willing. the vaccine. You have ivermectin. We all know. Yeah, I'm a big uh, anti-vaxxer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, what's the va- what's the rate in your state? I have a Russia today. Oh, the rate. I don't I haven't checked the rate in my state. Um, it's very weird because I live in a rural area and I haven't seen anyone. Uh, except my parents, and that's where I got it from. So, <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. too personal, but yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I, but that's the thing is, I just wonder, like. What it's like in like rural areas, because there's not. I don't know. They say Alabama's bad and stuff, but like here in Michigan, I don't see shit, you know? Oh, yeah. It, it's well, it sneaks up on you in rural areas. Yeah. 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 I would imagine. And like, I don't know. What are the like the g- gathering places left in rural areas? Churches, VFW yep. halls. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So I would imagine like, but at the same time, it, it might be harder. Like, I remember the plain states having, you know, more of a, slow period in the beginning because there was nobody going there or like West Virginia and stuff like that too. Right. Right. The States where people aren't typically going on like business or vacation or things like that, you know, not like major hubs of commerce. I was seeing that the, the spread was a lot slower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You guys, I guess they were right to isolate and just threaten. You should have shot all the Antifa who got too close, but that's who coughed on your, <laughs> families sorry um (laughs) so we got a short episode since you're uh under the weather here but uh we're gonna talk about this essay you sent me and i don't know do you want to give some backstory to this or i'll let you do an introduction real quick yeah okay so this fascinating short essay from 1904 uh in the north american review you can find it on jstor online or you could probably find it put the link in the notes yeah. Um, socialism as a rival of organized Christianity by the Reverend Thomas C. Hall, professor of theology in Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Now, this guy, son of a famous uh, Presbyterian reverend, um, he has a weird history. Um, over the next couple of years after this, he publishes several books on social teaching of Jesus Christ and Paul the Apostle. And then in uh, 19, during World War One, he helps uh, basically sabotage the US war efforts on behalf of 
Germany, um, he becomes impl implicated by the plots of uh, German uh, naval uh, intelligence officer, Captain von Rintelen. Um, this captain has a, a great autobiography called The Dark Invader, Wartime Reminiscences of a German Naval Intelligence Officer. So this uh, Naval Intelligence Officer roped in this uh, uh, Reverend Thomas C. Hall to hamper the U.S. war effort. And wow. then Thomas Hall flees to Germany, gets decorated by the <laughs> Kaiser by 1917, and he spends the rest of his time in Germany. And it's really weird because he lived most of his life in America. He only, as far as I could tell, he only studied in Germany for maybe a few years in Berlin and Gottingen. Yeah. So I haven't been able to find much more about that. I was going to ask yeah. why... First off, to take a side in World War One is stupid enough. Right. You know, but why right, Germany? Yeah. I was haven't it, been able to figure that out. Yeah. The best I can figure out is the other, when he speaks in this too, uh, he speaks about, you know, how, um, you know, Catholics are <laughs> part of the like allied powers, essentially. Like he mentions a couple mm. of countries by name that are, that he calls either infested by Marxian socialism or, mm. you know, they're Catholic countries. Take note, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's the that was my best guess reading this was, um, you know, he's a insane Protestant, <laughs> as always. Yeah, it's very uh, it's very weird too. And I, I read a little bit of a book he published in 1910 that. Um, was kind of like critical of this. It's kind of indirectly critical of the social gospel that's emerging in the 1900s, 1910s. And in that book, uh, the book is called, let me pull up real quick, Social Solutions in the Light of Christian Ethics in 1910. Uh, reading through it, he's mostly just like a conservative in the sense of yeah, the teaching of Jesus and Paul is revolutionary in your life, but you should not try to shake the boat and cause revolutionary violence. Yeah. He talks about how the apostle Paul appeals to the Roman hmm. emperor as a Roman citizen, right? Right. So yeah. He's like, yeah, don't shake the boat kind of conservative. It's a strange, yeah, it's a very strange, um, like, like you said, the social teachings of Christ is very, it's very odd to say this. And then not have anything to back up like what you want besides just like, I don't know, wait for it. Yeah, <laughs> he, exactly. Yeah. That's what he recommends. Yeah. Yeah, it's essentially. Yeah. And then like, hey, if you wait for it and it doesn't happen, I mean, a lot of people said it would happen and uh, well, you'll be dead and that's pretty good, too. So, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's it's very odd Um, because he even mentions in this essay we'll go through is like the socialists are providing like burials essentially <laughs> and like all types of these like functions of the church right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah it's clearly like he thinks it very well he's like a hegelian he's like a social thinker in a way in a weird way, way. Yeah. yeah in a, a weird way yeah. Hegelian, yeah yeah and he um yeah, even in this beginning of this pamphlet he brings up that the catholic church has been painfully awakened in france belgium and italy so yeah, he's mm -hmm. clearly, and that's why this is. An, I, I'm glad you brought it to me because it's a weird form of Protestantism. I haven't seen something 
quite so scattered in a while. It's weird because, like, he's warning against the revolutionary violence of socialism, but he does it by comparing it to early Christianity. Yeah. And he even repeats socialist talking points. So around the same time, you have American and European socialists saying that early Christianity was like a revolutionary proletarian uh, religion. And Thomas C. Hall just takes that and is like, yep. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. He talks about like the persecution of the early apostles and stuff, and that's what I mean. And, and yeah, it's also strange that he points out like Christian Science, Salvation Army, Zionism, Zionism. as yeah, enemies, yeah. and he's very like pro Enlightenment and like industrialized society in, in, as far as his like um, thoughts on science and you know. Mm-hmm rationality and things like that it's oh yeah it's odd because a conservative protestant now is absolutely opposed to those things they're fine with zionism they're fine with salvation army and they're fine they're fine definitely fine with christian science now oh yeah yeah that's like all of them now so yeah we have to remember this presbyterianism is before presbyterianism gets the big modernist fundamentalist split which comes more in the tens and 20s too around right. union theological okay. seminary so it's it's still a more liberal Presbyterianism, and it's also a covenant theology in the sense that they, they don't like Zionism because they like to think that the Christians replaced Israel, or at right. least Israel expanded to include all believers in Christ, right? Yeah, I get so that So they think part. Zionism <laughs> is a threat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, there's people, and there was, you know, there's two, like, I wouldn't even say this is like anti-Semitic. I would say they're just reading the Bible. You know, I, I don't know that it goes, I don't know his full writing. So as far as him being opposed to Zionism, but the idea is know. like, yeah. there is two like groups at that time, right? There's pro-Zionists who are like anti-Semite Protestants who are like, get out basically. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. there are the anti-Zionists who are like, you know, this is, we fought, you know, um, crusades over this. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is ours. Yeah. And it, it's funny now that there's a striking contradiction, like in the beliefs of modern Protestants, where they're both pro-Zionist, but they're also like obsessed with like crusader imagery and uh, mm. very shallow, like crusader legend and things like that. Yeah. Which killed a lot of Jews. <laughs> right. Right. And they and they want to, uh, you know, they want to reignite a holy war, a, a lot of them in some way, whether they say that explicitly or not. Mm-hmm. So to think that, like, yeah, there's Zionists who would also like to reignite a holy war before even, you know, Christ gets here. We would like to reignite a holy war in the Middle East, you know. Mm-hmm. So they basically are acting as the Vatican at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's strange. It's just an odd. Like you said, he brings up so many comparisons where it's like, I don't. I almost lose the thread a couple of times because, you know, he just keeps saying like, well, socialism does this. And also we did this. And it's yep. like, okay. And I think part of it is um, his obsession with Germany too might have been like the growing socialism there, you know, mm-hmm, I don't, mm-hmm. he clearly doesn't like it. 
Yeah, I don't know. You want to run through some more of this? What else you think was interesting? What else we got here? I highlighted some. I think that I think one big thing to point out here is that um, why would a Presbyterian reverend see socialism as a rival of organized Christianity? Because on the surface of it, you're talking about socialism as a political economy. Organized Christianity, in theory, is supposed to be uh, maybe non-political and just helping the poor, right? So it doesn't, it seems like apples and oranges, but when he goes through the class basis of both organized Christianity and socialism, it makes more sense why there's a split. And what's also interesting is like, after the 1950s, there's not, in the United States context, there's not really a sense that workers and the church don't get along. Um but in the early 20th century, and even going as far back as the 1860s, you can read conservative trade union uh, right. leaders talk about how the church can't, the churches just exclude, openly exclude poor workers, and also frequently demeans them, says that they can't get jobs because they get too drunk, that kind of stuff, you know? Well, yeah, and I mean, there was always an antagonist class because it was intertwined with the states of Europe, you know? Right. It was something that was intertwined with the state in Europe. And that was it was always given a special place, you know, as far as land ownership, taxes and things like that, plus mm. mandatory tithing. The, the church was always an antagonistic uh, force for the working class in Europe. So I imagine a lot of that did hold over. Unfortunately, the first people here were like weird Protestants who were if you're weird enough that you're fleeing from the Anglicans, something's up. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're also very middle class too. Right, yeah, they're they're traders essentially. They came here because they yeah. knew it was full of resources, and had they had places to put their slaves. So, yeah, and the more that industrial capitalism develops, the more it develops the owning class and the working class, and the more the middle class who goes to church they can't figure out why workers don't go to their church, and it's very clear it's because they don't. They aren't in the same class. They don't have the same uh, material interests, you know? Yeah. They I have think very different conditions. Like Spain under Franco is a good example of that. Where mm. he tried to kind of push like the working class into the churches and ended up with basically middle class Protestants. <laughs> yeah. Mm, occupying mm -hmm. the Spanish Catholic Church. So the, um, yeah. another thing I like that was weird is uh, he complains about uh, urban population increases as if they're kind of a cultural phenomenon, not an economic one. You know, oh, yeah. He sort of says, like, well, this is like, it's some bohemian, like, cultural affinity that draws people into these cities, as if, like, he's living through rapid industrialization in the early 1900s. He should be able to see clearly what's happening, but he compares it rather to, like, the Gauls coming in under Nero. As if there's some strange, like, alien... I guess he would think you're the alien culture mixing in with the urban populations, actually. Hmm. <laughs> Not you, but yeah. No, he <laughs> he equates, like, he does equate this... It's like a social phenomenon. Like, he doesn't even see that Rome, like, people move to the center because of economic reasons and for opportunity reasons. Right, right. It's, there's a lot of, like he skips over well he said he dismisses marx being a science you know marxism being a science and he moves on to it being like a social dogma and he kind of like relates that to bad things that happen and then 
like you said, it also relates that to good things that church did. So <laughs> it's very strange because if you just read this text and didn't read any of Hall's other writing, it would, in the end, it, he almost sounds pro-socialist because he compares it so much to the early church. And I'm not the only one saying that. Um, uh, the social gospel theologian review, uh, reviewed one of Thomas Hall, I mean, the, the book I mentioned earlier, um, and he mentioned how Hall writes about Marx. It almost sounds like Hall doesn't even disagree with Marx necessi necessarily. <laughs> about surplus value or historical materialism or about maybe even the need for the proletariat to have a dictatorship, you know? Yeah. I, I could, I, I can imagine getting that read from it because he does really, you know, um, from this pamphlet alone, it, it's hard to see like what his critique is, you know, he's not very clear because again, he compares everything positively. He just, compares like you know the social democrats in germany to like paul <laughs> it's a <laughs> yeah. bad move if you're coming from the church side yeah and they're tertullian and what yeah yeah <laughs> and i you know it is interesting the way he talks about like well yeah the trade unions being mad at being sort of opposed to the church and it's just this is also this is a time where people everyone worked your child worked you lived in a tenement building you know these mm -hmm. the time he came up was a wild time because this was a time where like it was industrialized but it was not organized there was no labor protections or anything like that yeah and that's where socialism fills the void and creates these working class organizations right right because people can relate more to the material questions in their four hours of free time a week than they can to a, you know, a deep inner spiritual connection, which is something, you know, the middle class has the luxury to work on most of the time. It's why the middle class does new age shit now. They don't like the church and the history that it's had. So they do this new stuff. Yeah. And the churches, the churches know, especially in America, that they are losing the working class to the labor movements, which they equate with socialism. Um, even though that's not really fair, most of the labor movement was not socialist, you know, they were just labor yeah. Republicans and what, but, or democratic populist reformers and what, but, um, the churches in, a, in America, especially in the 1890s onward are freaking out. There's a, a few sociological studies done by clergy and both Protestant and Catholic American institutions trying to figure out why are workers not coming to the church and they're asking, how do we stop socialism if we can't even appeal to workers at all, you know? Yeah, well, they're all going to save the children rallies. But <laughs> no, I think um, I think you could see that replicated now, though, is like even the middle class is leaving the organized churches, right? To some extent. Yeah, yeah. There are these massive are. Um, revivals kind of going around and these real loose affiliations and almost like online churches and things like that. And there's, especially as, you know, the right wing gets more insane, uh, they continue breaking with these sort of institutional churches because they, even institutional evangelical churches, there's been some breaks because these churches are still limited in the things they can say and the things they can endorse or the things they will endorse, frankly. 
you know? Right. So you see people leaving these, um, even some of the evangelical sects of Christianity, like they're leaving and they're leaving because they want to find, well, they're Anabaptists. <laughs> they want to find a, what fits mm-hmm. perfectly for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's weird too, because like, as Hall says in his essay, um, he almost, it's almost like he can't even disagree with Marx's theory of how capitalism develops. And he agrees that Christianity doesn't have a good social theory for modern life. And in the end, he just kind of muddles and is like, we just need like Christ to save individuals. And that's the only answer we, we can't have a political answer to or and we can't the church can't offer the working class anything to keep them or to bring them into the church in the first place. You know? Yeah. Here's the one a line I was looking for. Um, for the dogmatisms and the dreams of the two organizations comparing uh, Marx and the church, <laughs> socialism and the church in spite, of course, of serious and many differences, deserve the most careful psychological comparison and analysis. So I think that he, like, when he touches on the economic dogmatisms, it, he um, goes back to, like you said, the primitive Christianity, right? And mm-hmm. then he leads into uh, this uplifting vision was that was what marked the message of early Christianity as Christianity as over against the most effective and most democratic of other religious unions. Uh, the Christian guild was profitable both, both for this life and the life to come and stirred men's blood by promise that soon no man could tell how soon the meek, the oppressed, the poor and the slave would inherit the earth and would reign triumphant. So he basically says like, well, the Bible predicts that the meek shall inherit the earth and the earth is not heaven. The earth is here. You right. know, there's a very clear distinction between those things. He says the meek shall inherit the earth, but he, what, by wait, you waited, the promise of another life after is better. That's great. But he's just, yeah, like you said, it's don't rock the boat, right? It's, it just comes crashing to a stop for no reason. It's like, okay, well, what, what, (laughs) you know, it's very baffling because he, I don't know what process, especially living in this stage of capitalism that he's in. I don't know what process you see that would think you make you think that the meat shall inherit the earth anytime in the near future. Yeah. Well, if you read like his uh, social solutions in the light of Christian ethics, he really argues that you shouldn't do revolution. He talks about how Paul thought that the kingdom of heaven was coming uh, any day now, but eventually uh, by the time of second Thessalonians, Paul has to, you know, be, be prepared for like, what if this takes a long time? And what's interesting is that Hall basically argues that the revolution is only internal on an individual and ethical basis, and that we shouldn't commit acts of violence to bring that about. Um, that That's his arguments. Um, and he also quotes Karl Kautsky favorably <laughs> in the essay uh, where Karl Kautsky argues that we need the proletariat to be ready to manage society, where it kind of sounds like a more reformist, gradualist, yeah, um, you know, idea of socialism. The funny thing is, too, is like you would have your church attendance if you had socialism, man. <laughs> yeah, You'd have time yeah. to do it. 
that's right. the whole thing. Like they can't and, and like he um talks about, you know, how he at one point he mentions that he was like, What's the hope of an eight hour day and 10% increase in wage if you have hope of heaven? Like, well, what you know, again, pick a lane, man. What what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I just don't. He talks, and then he goes on to say, like the starved imagination of the working class. It seems like the the working class having an imagination is socialism. It's moving beyond the paradigm allowed by capitalism. You know that that's what makes it close to. I and in some ways, I agree that it is close to a dogma. You know, that's why they mm-hmm. have the term orthodox Marxist that exists right. for a reason, right? So, yeah, but at the same time, and much like he believes that Christianity needs to embrace science, Marx did embrace science. And Marx just happened to be right compared to all the other philosophers. And that was because he was a materialist. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And Marx explained the material. And this guy, his whole thing is like, Marx is right about the material, but don't worry about it. Just go to heaven. Yeah. I, definitely you working class person who cannot read this probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know yeah it's just i don't know the comparisons it's, it's funny because every time it's just look yeah it sounds great but is it compared to heaven <laughs> and yeah i there was something in here where he compared um he brought up like paul and things like that uh what you were saying a minute ago um shoot i lost it either way but he oh here's another passage i had marked out um a possessionless class is not only a relatively unstable population but one in which national feeling is weak the christian or socialist group is is bound to become cosmopolitan in sympathy the group is no longer based on geographical considerations the organizing conception is a common discontent and a common hope so i it's just the same thing another comparison right like yeah he really sees like like early 20th century america as like the later roman empire is how he sees it and so it's like okay so maybe maybe he it, mm-hmm. do you think he might be like a crypto uh evolutionary socialist like edward bernstein he, he sometimes sounds like that he could be, or he could, and then there could be like some weird futurist aspects to it because yeah. you have to think of like what he might have been influenced by in like popular culture at that time, right? Right, right. And the idea of like basically, like now, uh, there are comparisons. I guess there's not because nothing's changed, right? That's the real story. Um, except there's no socialist meeting halls, there's just churches, and that's where you have to go to socialize, yeah, but. People don't um, socialize now, period. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The comparisons to like uh, now are think of the way we treat technology now, where we live in a, an existence where there's basically a good chunk of the population that thinks like, you know, I'm worried about the planet cooking, but I'm sure somebody will solve it by then. Right. right. There's a technological solution for everything. That's why we worship these like Silicon Valley companies and things. And that was the way that like, Think of like Edison or somebody or like the industrialists were worshipped. Yeah. So this oh, it's guy funny had- that, 
Oh, this guy has the Protestant attachment to those types of people. I, I can imagine him just oh, yeah. being part of like the futurist type of thinking where it's like, yeah, well, your wife will be able to cook five times faster while she's chained to the stove. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he was a Democratic Party voter before he fled to Germany, and he <laughs> seems to have supported the single tax movement. And that's oh. about it. So just okay. mild liberal reforms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Democrats were the real uh, Confederacy folks. <laughs> we all know <laughs> this. <laughs> I learned this from a documentary. <laughs> um, he does bring up the Nazis for a moment. Like, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, wait, are you talking about when he says national socialist? Yeah, what is this? What was oh, that? no, no, he's... Oh, that's, that's weird. That's, he's not referring to the Nazis. He's, he's referring, just referring to, to the German Socialist Party. Yeah, he's referring to like the nationalists within the German say, socialists. Yeah, it's a little early. Hitler yeah, yeah, nineteen oh four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, th- that gets a little weird because, like, he also cites the nationalist clubs founded by um, is it James by Bellamy? I forgot okay. if, is it Francis right. Bellamy or the other? But those were like national. Those nationalist clubs were just arguing for nationalization of private industry. And they were very, at least how Bellamy intended them to be, they were supposed to be not socialist, socialist clubs, basically. Right. <laughs> so he yeah. just called them nationalists. That was what he um, noted about the uh, socialism is falling heir to trade unions and reform agencies of, of even middle class origin. When he mentions that, that's when he's mentioning the uh, Bellamy nationalization. Right, right. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to like, take the message because he, he's kind of just all over the place because, again, he endorses a lot of socialism. Kind of is bad there. But at the same time, he's, uh, you know, the, the I think he would be more depressed now, honestly, because there is no move for any type of, like, there's no Christian movement, really, for any type of, like, social justice. Maybe, like, oh, the yeah. Pope on TV. But and like somewhere in the global south, but not in any of like the Western world for the most, you know, there's still like sad French loyalists living in the south, right? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, and there's nothing now that even comes close to it. And I think that if he saw this comparison where it's like, man, capitalism can become a lot worse, and the idea of like nationalization won't even work, you know, you see that in countries abroad. Um, and the church still doesn't really act as like a hugely revolutionary thing. It's mostly just like a proletariat thing in certain places, you know. Mm-hmm. But if he saw well, it now, like he would just yeah. understand like it, the whole thing's been rolled back and things have gotten worse as like the church has become the only place of community. Um, the job has become like even more alienating and like, you know, you're more estranged from everyone essentially at that yeah. point like the point of religion now is basically it's been burned out but not by socialism by capitalism oh yeah yeah i mean the whole idea of socialism being a rival to organized christianity nothing about that title makes sense in the late 20th early 21st century like yeah. one socialism is not a major force in society and organized christianity is not a major force in society either because we're so alienated we can't participate in any civil society institutions yeah it's that's true even christian 
Christianity has become more alienated. Like as we were talking about, it's just, it's very individualized now. You don't have to do yeah. anything. Yeah. I already think he would bad be enough. horrified by like how Presbyterianism has gone too. Cause it's become very politically conservative, even <clears throat> relative to the like sense. I'm not ways, familiar. Yeah. Um, they, they've done some weird thing. Oh, well, I mean, for one, even since the 1970s, I don't know how Hall would have felt about abortion or social issues that became more pertinent in the later 20th century. But like Presbyterianism has become more nationalist in the United States since the 70s. And I'm not sure why I need to do more reading on that. But... The silent majority era. Yeah, yeah. Um, having Presbyterians backing the Vietnam War, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I could see, but I could see also see a reaction to the 60s after Vietnam. Right, right. You know, those last, the closing blows of the 60s could be, a, caused a lot of reactions in this country. It also caused a lot of, um, you know, quote unquote Marxists to become more of like Hegelians. They, they are more about culture than they are economics. You know, you see it all the time and, I think he wouldn't, he would, I don't know, I would like to bring him back and hear him explain like woke culture <laughs> as like the right <laughs> describes it. Just like show him Tumblr and be like, tell me what dogma this is. <laughs> It'd know? be so weird. Yeah. Yeah. It has, um, especially like this sort of new left and the postmodernists from the 60s just kind of made, again, like the church. Uh, even leftism is hyper individualized now. There's not uh, yeah. there's not as much of a collective sense of like a collective goal for either organization at this point. Right, right. It's really weird too because like, um, so like Hall says about the like Roman Empire, you have all these religious movements and philosophical movements, Stoicism, Epicureanism. You have these Gnostic cults, and you have Christianity finally coming up. And uh, you, there's like a proliferation of ideo competing ideologies among the proletarian working class in the Roman Empire. But you can't really use that as an analogy for today necessarily. I mean, there's plenty of crazy ideas running around no. in late America, but nothing just, that's really serious, you know? Yeah, I was just thinking that with it hyper-individualized like that, like um, the way that say you're a Republican or a Christian, a right-wing Christian, you're against abortion, right? This is something you know. You don't necessarily have to go to a church every Sunday to determine that. All you have to do is go vote Republican and your consumption choices make the difference. The same with yeah. the left. If you are of, you know, a more liberal leaning, a kind of cultural fighter, <laughs> you are more <laughs> likely to vote for, you know, say a Democrat who promises like anti-discrimination policies or something like that, chances are they won't be as good as you think. Just like the Republicans aren't going to really ban abortion completely in every state, because these are things that just like they don't care that you're alienated and that you're just on your own. As long as whatever your beliefs that you hold, at least have something they can pick out of it to bring you back to the polls every two years. Right, right. It's also interesting if you look at the church. Like the church today, whether Protestant or Catholic, well, Catholic tends to care more. I read more Catholic publications today that worry about why aren't we reaching workers? But the Protestant churches for sure don't care at all. They don't even think it's a problem. 
Very few. I, I uh, read a book by someone who was at uh, the Heritage Foundation and she was mm-hmm. talking about why our churches not having workers come in. And she talks about how they ha- they're from more like uh, non-conventional, non-nuclear families and that kind of thing, divorces and what. But like the Protestant churches really don't care <laughs> that they're hemorrhaging members. Yeah, yeah, I... I don't know what makes them care about, you know, I suppose when the funding dries up, right? Like, yeah, that's about it. But um, I think the Catholic church, you have that tendency because there are, you know, there's massive numbers of priests and bishops and all of these positions being moved around the globe. You have people Mm. coming from the global South to take positions in the United States. You have people coming from Europe to take positions in the United States. There's different, even in Europe, there's a much different tradition of Catholicism where, you know, where these, these sort of localized working class priests who sort of act as the local government. Yeah. And as far as like disputes and things like that go. So the Catholics at least have more of these traditions to bring in. Whereas you pointed out earlier, the, the Protestants who came here were middle-class. They were the new like artisan class, you know, mm-hmm. that was coming up and that it's always been sort of their basis, except for, I suppose, not of its foundation, but, um, you know, no, speak of <laughs> when the, found on the screen. <laughs> whoops, when the uh, Protestant reformation got out of hand would have been the last, like would have been, the major uprising in European tradition of, you know, a working class movement backing a church sort of, although it wasn't one unified church at the time, those traditions seem like they're much more recent in uh, Western Catholic countries and global Catholic countries in the global South. They're still very much active, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The Protestant countries, I mean, they, they were more in the capitalist core. They um, kind of like, their societies atomized more. And also like if you look like Puritans or the Congregationalists in New England, uh, yeah. they or the Baptists in the South, like very rapidly North or South States, um, they very rapidly are organized around small business interests, artisans who eventually maybe employ, you know, half a dozen employees <laughs> and they're petite bourgeois and that's that petite bourgeois strata of society is the one that's continuously getting their their butt kicked by large industry i do see um the trend of like evangelical protestantism going into the global south to like seek out their middle classes that are coming right into developing yeah. countries like i think of brazil you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like um they go seeking the sort of Really, the leftover Spanish Catholics, which is a shame. But yeah, they go seeking out this sort of uh, moneyed classes and the owners, you know, the bourgeoisie and the petite bourgeoisie is a big base. So I think like a lot of the evangelical churches, they're not noticing the bleeding they're having from the insanity here, right? Um, right. They're not noticing that because they're picking up numbers in the global south. I mean, it's between them, Mormons and the Catholics, essentially. Yeah, Catholic, yeah. The, Catholics definitely pull the working class the most. Mormons probably pull the work, working class pretty well too in the global south, honestly. Right, right. And what's they know how to deliver about, aid. Yeah, and, and like what's interesting about that, like how evangelicals view uh, the developing world, is that evangelicals do often compare America to the late Roman Empire, but they'll see 
um, in the developing countries like South Korea, Brazil, Nigeria, Uganda, they'll see like early primitive Christianity and they'll imagine that's what's happening in these developing countries. And so it's almost like um, it's kind of that continuous analogy with the Roman Empire. This right. idea that Christianity is not dead yet. It may be dead in North America, but it's not dead um, in the poor countries. Well, bad news for the Protestants, and it's even pointed out in this essay. Um, it was the Catholic Church that kept that alive. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> After Rome was gone, we were the only ones left. But <laughs> um, yeah. It's funny that they compare it to, you know, the Roman Empire, because it, in a way, it admits, for one, it's interesting you admit that it's an empire when it makes sense in your prophecies, right? But the, when the evangelicals go to these countries in the global south, I feel they have a drive not to give aid for converts. They drive to do what they do best. It's in the name, evangelize and make middle-class converts send aid back to the United States, essentially. That too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I like even, what, like, Bolsonaro is, like, a weird evangelical and things like that? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, there's quite a few of those reactionary leaders in, like, Latin America that are. And that's, yeah. this. it's been a growing trend, and I think that they, it took them a minute, but they grew, they got onto the game of, like, yeah, well, eventually, you know, Americans aren't really interested, so we're going to have to go somewhere else. And what they're doing is intentionally targeting the same types of people they target in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that part's weird too, like going through missionary financial data <laughs> is confusing because like on the one hand, uh, yeah, there's a lot of free money going to missionaries and their projects abroad. Uh, but there's also like uh, evangelical TV broadcast networks and individual churches that are trying to find a profit right. abroad simultaneously so you can't tell what the net cash flow is really it's probably net cash flow back to the u.s and yeah Canada, i would likely. imagine yeah but it's well, hard to tell you know it's so murky yeah that's interesting that's what i was just gonna i don't know anything about it. i was gonna wonder is it you know the catholic church delivers like um, a general education essentially with you know catholic theology mixed in i would imagine the mormons are very similar when they go down there you know oh, but yeah. the, the evangelicals i was going to say like i wonder if they're basically like uh you know like a charter school cheerleaders right like we'll build you a school and like it teaches kids how to work in like this industry or we'll build you know some type of infrastructure project but it's because like some industrial operation is going next to it. And we want like workers to populate around it. Mm-hmm. I just want, is that like what you mean by, you know, kind of deriving a profit from their project? Yeah. Some of that, okay. um, finding new TV viewership, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> finding like, like you said, like new sources of like tithing to some of that has to get back to the U S for sure. Um, it's a little weird because it's also kind of like, you know, Rosa Luxemburg's argument that um, imperialism tries to find markets abroad. That's kind of what U.S. evangelicalism has to do, because not only have they saturated their markets in the U.S., but those markets are actually declining in the U.S. So they have to go abroad where there's still a middle class that hasn't been obliterated yet. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's it's the rising middle class. Right. It's a, right. I don't know if it'll have a long day, but it's coming up right now. And that's yeah. part of like, I think that's part of, they'd love to get into China, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um, and that's why there's those, you know, there's things like uh, the global times to support evangelical movements in like a propaganda war against China. These exist, you know, they're connected for that reason. Right. That, yeah. Right. They see that they are like, uh, you know, they can't go to India now. Unfortunately, they're probably mad about that. Um, Cause I don't think Modi's going to let too much of that fly out in public. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I would imagine that's also a concern with losing like um, political and economic influence in Southeast Asia, you know, because Southeast Asians will, uh, you know, they do gravitate towards Christianity in a lot of those countries. And if you could be the one that gets there for like these ones that, oh, I don't know, I don't like the Catholic church anymore. Or like these Mormons are creeping me out. You know, if you can find those people, uh, you can get them in. It's like this growing middle class. And yeah, you, your revenues from overseas, pro- they, have, they have to exist because all churches do that. I assume if I give money to the Catholic church, part of that goes, even if it's just a minuscule cent goes to the Vatican somehow. Right. Right. I don't know how much, I don't know what for, I don't care that much, but uh, I, I would assume that same unspoken agreement goes for evangelicals. Like, if you send money, you know, if you give us money, it pays for your church here, pays for your operations. But also this is tax-free real estate owned by a billionaire in the United States who gives a shit what your bills are, you know? Right, right. We can kick that money upstairs. Yeah. And I, I definitely think that's why they're targeting the middle class. Whereas, yeah, the Mormons and the Catholics, they seem to like, well, maybe we can just, they're running the small donor campaign. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 So yeah, I I don't know. There's definitely class characters to missionary work at this point too. Oh yeah. And Imperial too, though, it's also a weird thing where, you know, global development is slowing. Uh, Global trade growth is slowing. So while we have, you know, global trade is still increasing, it's been slowing down. And I don't know once it, once we have a stable amount of global trade, um we could see globalization slowing down and what what would that mean for this supposedly uh cosmopolitan proletariat that thomas hall talks about right because thomas hall is like oh like like the roman empire uh modern capitalism today brings the proletariat together and the proletariat cares less and less about nationalism which you know for a socialist that's a good news right but if you have slowing global trade that may not be the case anymore yeah even have slowing immigration in some cases at least between the u.s and mexico you know uh, immigration has slowed down and reversed so yeah it's i don't know it's it's a strange trend that christianity has gone on um it's it's intertwining with capitalism has been essentially completed but and it's funny that it, that's been completed as the more establishment churches kind of back off of capitalism to some extent, mm. or they're not at least not preaching its fucking glory from the mountaintops the way 
American Protestantism specifically has, you know? Interesting. Could, could you elaborate on that more? I just don't think I, you don't see like a Lutheran church acting in the way, say, um, evangelicals do where it's um, capitalism is a sort of, they almost feel as if it's a God given system. They're really like end of history types. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily see the more, I think even some of the, you know, more established churches, like they may not endorse socialism, but they do understand that aspects of capitalism are ripping the fabric of society. Oh yeah. All you need to know, like all the only evidence you need is like the national council of churches of Christ in the U S like their statements are surprisingly progressive and radical. So for example, um, this is like the largest ecumenical body in the U S churches. They make, political statements sometimes mm -hmm. and uh they've made statements against the uh oppression of palestinians in the west bank like that's how progressive they are right yeah yeah and they're funded by like billionaires you know and there's all sorts of aspects where that kind of comes out you know there's um like even rod dreyer sees like capitalism as an issue <laughs> there's uh <laughs> yeah Weirdo, As a reactionary like, socialist in a weird way. You can yeah, argue like, that Rod Dreher is kind of like that, yeah. Yeah, weirdos on, like, um, the right, even, like, the sort of trad cat kind of freaks and things like that, you know, they understand that capitalism is a problem. Now, what they want, they want, like, a Catholic monarchy based on, like, whatever <laughs> Pepe meme they saw. Like, I'm good on that. But, I mean, yeah. the thing is, like, they do want, they do realize that, like, these, you know, massive multinational corporations, globalized capital, like they understand these things are what makes society like this It is not necessarily the fault of like cultural Marxism. And, like, you know, they're not Jordan Peterson adherents, basically. Some of them are. Oh, yeah. They hold contradictory ideas all the time, obviously. But right. yeah, they they kind of think that, yeah, well, capitalism does fuck up the family and like well, they want the hierarchy Peterson describes, but it's through the church. It's. I want an emperor, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I think how I see it is like you'll you, you have that tendency, that gradient with all its exceptions between smaller and larger capitalist interests, where on average, the smaller capitalists, more middle class segments will tend to be more conservative and reactionary. And you have your Rod Dreher types who is like, we need to de-link from society and have our little, you yeah, know, the community Benedict of artisans. Option. Yeah, the Benedict option where we have a reactionary socialist commune or you have a uh, Glenn Beck who has a similar thing where it's oh, like, yeah, that's right. we need to separate from the corporations and just set up our own like tent community, you know, 19th century style, like the old Mormons. And you'll have that tendency. But then like the net, when you talk about National Council of Churches, like the mainline Protestant churches and I guess the more mainline Catholic, if that's a term, uh, churches in the U.S., they'll tend to support, oh, we need state socialism, not necessarily reactionary socialism, but like we need the state to, and not socialism, they won't say socialism usually, but they'll say we need state inter intervention to um, regulate corporations, basically. Yeah. And then there's like this, that, that sometimes you have that turn into something where it's really not like a nationalization even. It's, um, they basically want to change the rules, right? Like social right. media in particular. It's just, how come it's not fair to us, right? And when you get down to it with, in those arguments with them, it's, 
yeah, I want to nationalize it. It's like, what does that mean? And it basically just means like, I want the government to be a mod where so free speech applies, but I don't, they don't have like the correct analysis of what they, they realize it's unethical for Zuckerberg to exist. They don't quite know why though. And their solution to it is get rid of him and make it, you know, publicly modded essentially. And the ownership structure factor like does not factor into their equation. They don't think about that part. Right. So I think it's easy for them to say, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't account for the fact that you're taking wealth. Yeah. 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 There's no threat from any portion of society to actually change how we produce and distribute things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem with this whole uh, essay here. Uh, but I don't know. We'll put it in the notes. And people should definitely read it. It's pretty interesting. Did you see, is, um, yeah. speaking of social media real quick, though, did you see the Facebook whistleblower? Uh, yeah, I haven't looked into it, though. She said that Facebook's spreading right wing media yeah. by yeah. pushing clicks or articles at you. Yeah, but like all of like the, um, all the right wingers, <laughs> all the right wingers are like she's proving that they like, I don't know, stole the election or something. They stole the election or banned conservatives. And that's why like their power, the, the fucking service went out for like eight hours or whatever. It's gotten yeah. pretty wild. We'll have to come back and talk about it. But yeah, um, basically, she said the opposite of what they say, <laughs> what the right is saying. Like <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah. I mean, you look yeah. at the Arizona audit, you know. Oh, yeah. 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 That was pretty wild. <laughs> it it so, is really, I mean, to give like conservatives like credit, it is, uh, what's the right term? It It is like cognitively dissonant to think about how facebook and mark zuckerberg would want to encourage your crazy conservative uncle yeah in a way it's it is cognitively dissonant but it makes sense if you think about how facebook tries to increase engagement it's the same as like at&t owns both cnn and oan at&t yeah. doesn't care the message they spread as long as the message spreads enough to get ad revenue so it's i get how conservatives would think this would be crazy that facebook is propagating their views but it is you know yeah well yeah what do we say huh? what do i say all the time just be a materialist you'll figure it out there we go yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right man that was a good one so yeah we'll be back soon though um i think i don't know we'll figure out what you're doing and when you're feeling better okay and uh i think it's time to come back and i've given the mormons enough credit tonight so watch out. <laughs> we'll All get right. to the Mormons. Yeah. All right. Good night. Night.